Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through the Lawyerist Lab and Accelerator. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Stephanie Everett, and this is episode 277 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Emily Cooper about contingency plans and aligning your law firm to be less dependent on you. Today's podcast is brought to you by Mockingbird Marketing, Text Expander, LawPay, and Back Office Betties. We wouldn't be able to do our show without their support, so stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. So I was reading an article from another industry, a computer offering. Mm -hmm. In looking at the offering, they offered different level of response time depending on how much you paid. Right. I I remember seeing this. So it was like at their low budget plan, you get 24-hour response time or something. And if you upgrade to the next one, then they'll respond within six hours. And if you upgrade to the next one, they'll get back to you in an hour. And at their highest level, you can just call them or something like that. Yeah, and it got me thinking, why do we offer the same level of access to our clients when, for the most part, we expect our clients to pay the same? Or Well, it makes sense to me right now because a lot of lawyers are changing the way they offer their services right now out of necessity, but we might be offering different levels of responsiveness right now. You probably can't come into your lawyer's office right now, and that's an opportunity to rethink what do your clients need. If people are perfectly happy scheduling a Zoom call with you a day or two out or an hour or two out, maybe you can offer different levels of responsiveness to people. And maybe the way to think about it is those needy clients who mm-hmm. demand immediate access Like it's almost they pay a premium for that level of access to you. I've often said, you know, if I were, say, a family law attorney, there's no way in hell that I would charge my same hourly rate for picking up the phone at 7 p.m. At 7 p.m. it's triple because it's not on me to offer you the kind of convenience of 24-7 service. But another way to think about that is, okay, well, if somebody is willing to pay triple for me to pick up the phone at 7 p.m., sounds great. I will do that, (laughs) you know? So how do you offer different levels of service to people in a conscious, kind way where you're giving choice to your clients, not trying to take things away from them? Um, we're used to that in everything. It seems totally transferable to law practice. It's the extra service that we're impacting, right? So mm-hmm. if you're going to a heart surgeon, you want the best heart surgeon to do the surgery. <laughs> you don't want them to skimp on the surgery, just like you wouldn't want your lawyer to skimp on the legal services. When I had my baby, my husband put me up at this crazy part of the hospital. So I actually had a private chef and nurse. It was, it was insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like when you go in for labor, they offer you this upgrade. And I had a really hard labor. That's and awesome. I think he was like, well, this is our vacation this year. So <laughs> we paid extra, but I got a two-room suite with a family like living room with big screen TVs for my family. I had a chef that would prepare steak and scallops for me and my husband every me it was yeah it was insane and like tea time that's fantastic I want tea time <laughs> it was like she came at four I would get fresh tea and scones 
I mean, it was lovely, but obviously we paid extra for that. And while I would want the same doctor actually doing my delivery, if I were to go do that today, I'd be fine to just have maybe regular hospital food and mm-hmm. <laughs> not private chef cooked meals. But at the time, I was willing to pay extra for those extra services. So if we were to think about that in your law firm, you still want that expert legal, you know, the surgeon, part of the surgery, but maybe you don't need immediate access or responses to all of your questions within five minutes. A conversation I was having with a labster the other day was around the idea of, do my clients need access to me, the name on the firm? And maybe you offer that, but at a premium. Maybe you tell people like, look, you're going to get the same service either way. But if you want to talk to me as opposed to the paralegal who's actually doing the work, you can. It's going to cost you this much money. Um, And then you can have me actually talking with you instead of just checking up on your documents before we finalize them. That's also an interesting way to test the theory that people need to talk to you. Um, I bet if people had the choice to pay more or not talk to you, they might reconsider and then be okay with it. Yeah. So just... Test these ideas and be willing to experiment and see how your clients respond and, and what this could look like for your practice. What is it that you offer that isn't the, the core of the quality legal work uh, that you could vary according to client? It doesn't have to be response time, but anything that you offer. It'll be interesting to kind of think and explore that. So now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Conrad Sam from Mockingbird Marketing and then my conversation with Emily. Hey there, this is Conrad Salam from Mockingbird. You may know me, my earliest hits in the legal industry, I ran Avo's work for the first six years, but I am more famous as the owner of Zippy the Chicken, who is the only chicken to be awarded the Lawyers of Distinction Top 10% Law Firm Award. <laughs> That's awesome. I want to go down that rabbit hole, but instead... Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll go there one day. <laughs> so thanks for being on the podcast today. And I'm excited to talk to you about something that I bet is on a lot of lawyers' minds, which is I bet a lot of lawyers are looking at their budgets and they're wondering if they really need to be spending as much as they are on their website. And so let's talk about that. What is reasonable for a law firm to be spending on a website? So Sam, the whole notion of what's reasonable for a law firm to be spending on their website is part of the reason I started Mockingbird off Mm -hmm. at the very beginning. You know, this goes back to 2013. And while I was at Avo, I saw lawyers who were spending $1,000 a month, $2,000 a month, $600 a month just for the website. And as I talked to lawyers and I'd ask them, what are you getting out of this? What is this thing for? What are you paying for here? And it was often, well, that's what the website costs. And the reality is, I'd really break this down into kind of three components. You have the website itself, which is a fixed thing. It's a fixed cost. It does not require an ongoing bleed out of a law firm's bank account. Then you have hosting and maintenance and updates and keeping that thing running and secure and updated over time. That is a monthly fee and that is a monthly cost that an agency should incur um, or a hosting provider should incur. And that's kind of the the second part. And that's real, but it scales as well, right? It's real, but it doesn't scale that much, right? So I suspect, Sam, that you're hosting, Bill, you're probably running a lot more traffic than most of the people uh, listening to your podcast, especially as the audience is, is smaller in solos. And so your hosting bill probably comes in under $250 a month. Yeah, it's right around that. And it's a fully managed, dedicated server. Yeah. 
And that's the Cadillac version. Right? Yeah, we so got a Ferrari. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A lot of you are paying for a Ferrari and you're getting a golf cart is the way I would think about this. So at Mockingbird, our hosting and maintenance and all the technology to keep things moving and running and safe and secure, that's $149 a month for our clients. And you pretty much can't get beyond that. If you have enough traffic, it bumps up just a little bit. But for solos and small firms, if you're dropping more than $149 a month to keep your website up, you got to ask why. I think the key here, Sam, for in my mind is the website is buying the car. The hosting is putting the gas in the car, mm -hmm. right? And so many of you are ending up in an interminable lease on an overpriced car. Yeah, and like a thousand bucks a month for just hosting, not counting any real actual SEO that's being done is ridiculous. Full stop. But, but my concern is many of the agencies lump all this stuff into this fuzzy thing called website and you don't really know what you're getting. And when you don't really know what you're getting and you're dealing with people like me who make money on lawyers, <laughs> you end up getting what you pay for, which is not much and you pay too much for it. There's a lot of different platforms out there on which websites can be built. There's one obvious answer that is the keyword that almost everyone should probably look for, which is WordPress. Right. What else might people see and, and kind of where do you agree that WordPress is where people should land? Yeah. So I think this conversation can almost become a why shouldn't you use WordPress? <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't you want to? Here are the reasons. <laughs> one, poorly done WordPress can be just as bad as the other platforms. That's fair. Okay, so yeah. just know that that's true. It's a good, well-coded WordPress, not just WordPress. Mm -hmm. And then you have two other options. You go down market to the do-it-yourselves, Wix, Squarespace, those types, and those sites are perform very poorly. Or you move to what the vendors like, which is the proprietary platform. And once you move to the proprietary platform, that means that this is essentially your vendor site that you are, again, paying a lease for. So a proprietary platform, typically they're slower because they can't keep up as all the other WordPress developers in the world get together and make WordPress the best site that it is. If it's a proprietary platform, you have a finite number of engineers working on that and you lose the functionality that you can get through WordPress. It also ties you to your vendor. Most dramatically and most damagingly, it ties you to one vendor to whom you are dependent on your website. And that puts the control in the vendor's hands instead of in your hands as the law firm. And you always want to be in control. And taking a WordPress website from one vendor to another is cake. Well, beautiful. Moving from a proprietary platform to anything else is like pulling teeth. It's awful. So we have an extra charge for migrating off of a proprietary platform. But your key there, Sam, is right. If you can choose who works on your site and there's a thousand people within your market who work on WordPress, as well as across the US, there's hundreds of thousands of people. It puts you in control mm -hmm. as opposed to me. And you don't want me to be in control because I can change my pricing on you, blah, blah, blah. You want to be in control of that site. So uh, maybe with uh, a minute or two, we've got to talk about, you mentioned that like Squarespace and Wix perform poorly. I am sure a lot of lawyers are looking at their colleagues' websites and they're saying, yeah, but those are beautiful. What do you mean perform poorly? I take it what you mean is, number one, speed. There's a lot of weight in those site builders. And probably number two is um, search engine optimization. It's very difficult to do the kind of um, sophisticated work that needs to be done on a platform like that. Am I right? 
you're correct. Yeah. You know, the infrastructure is just not there. I We're going to extend a car analogy way too far, but you used to be able to <laughs> buy like the Ferrari chassis and put it on top of your Peugeot, yeah. right? And it looked great and it stunk when you drove it. That's what Wix and Squarespace is. Good analogy. So what, what this is leading us to is um, you have a pretty generous offer here, which is free website and hosting through the end of the year. And you can get that at mockingbirdmarketing.com slash F-R-E-C-H-O. That's Freco. Freco. Um, for free echo. That's kind of crazy. Uh, so free ho- website and hosting through the end of the year. Does that include the migration to your platform? Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's cool. So A, this is a response to COVID. I was like, yep. what can my little agency do in our world to help for COVID? Mm-hmm. Let's extend law firms' cash flows as long as possible. B, I wanted to get them off the garbage platforms, right? And I wanted to put the clients in control. And C, and you, and you referenced this earlier, if people don't love this, I mean, Freco is our, it's our basic echo template, right? It is WordPress. It's great. It's well-coded, but it's a basic template. Yep. Move to that. Then you're in control of deciding what you want to do with it within WordPress. You can make it more fancy. You can go to another vendor. It's easy. It puts you in control. And that's the whole point. And so full disclosure here on January 1st, you will start paying off that website um, at 200 bucks a month for 24 months and 149 bucks a month for your Cadillac hosting plan, which, as we've discussed, is in the realm of what you'd say is reasonable. It's about as much as you should pay. And again, nice to be here. I really, really appreciate it. Nice to chat. And I, and I love running into you. Hopefully, this whole COVID thing shuts down and we can uh, meet up in person and we'll again. we get to do that again. Yeah. Thank you very much, Conrad. Good talking to you. Sam, pleasure. Thanks. Hi, I'm Emily Cooper. I'm an attorney in Minneapolis, Minnesota. My law firm offers sliding scale family law representation and unbundled services, as well as social security disability representation for people. Our goal is to make sure that attorney services are available to everyone, regardless of your economic status. Welcome to the podcast, Emily. See, you just introduced yourself with all kinds of things that I realize we haven't talked about on the podcast before. So your sliding fee approach is awesome. We are recording this in in the midst of the pandemic. It's the end of April. Um, How are you doing? Uh, I am doing actually really well. Uh, I think I'm actually not sure what week we're in as far as the pandemic, but it feels like maybe week five or six. Something like that. Yeah. Somewhere around there. I am battening down the hatches here in Minneapolis with my son who's doing distance learning and I'm running my firm remotely. How would you rate your skills as a uh, homeschool principal, by the way? I'm a terrible homeschool principal. Me too. Uh, yeah. And luckily he he goes to a really, really good school that created a very comprehensive distance learning program. And he's pretty much supervised by them from nine to two or three each day. And I get emails when he hasn't done the work he's supposed to do. Plus he's a pretty independent fellow who really enjoys being online. (laughs) So this is like his ideal situation. I think maybe online school was his destiny. So (laughs) I do, I do feel lucky when I talk to other people about what they're going through with their kids and online learning and so on and realize I, I have it pretty good because he pretty much leaves me alone from nine to three. And then every once in a while, I check in on him and give him some food and uh, make sure that he's completed some assignments that maybe his teachers have emailed me about. Otherwise, he, he's he got a lot of stuff going on. That's fantastic. So I wanted to ask you how's business. Before we do that, I, I think I want to backtrack. We've known each other for a while, um, back when you and 
Tracy uh, Reed were partners, and uh, I think you guys hunted me down, and and we made that connection. And so I've been kind of a fan of yours and following your firm one way or another. Now you're in lab for years, I think, it feels like. It probably has been years, hasn't it? It's been years, because that would have been like in 2010 or 2011. So it's been a long time. Okay. But so we were going to do this podcast, um, I don't know, a year, two years ago? when Three uh, years ago, two years ago. It's been a long time, yes. <laughs> but um, but then you, uh, you were diagnosed with cancer. I was. I had been actually kind of blowing you off for a while anyway, and then <laughs> a legitimate excuse came up. Yeah. And uh, I was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer at the end of 2018. And so I spent 2019 going through treatment. And how are things now? Things are great. I am completely cancer-free and the treatment worked fantastically and I am feeling in great shape. That's good to hear. Now let's take that and move to, okay, so I want to talk about how that impacted your practice. And I hope it doesn't feel like a hard-ass insensitive pivot to just be like, okay, that's great. Blah, 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 (laughs) cancer. So you got this cancer diagnosis, which I assume completely upends your world and your firm. How do you take that and go, yeah, but I'm going to keep my firm going in the meantime, because I know you did a lot of work on that. And I'd like you to just tell us about it. Obviously, it was it was quite a shock. Um, it was something I kind of suspected something was wrong in early November and then got my biopsy and the, and the test results at the end of November, like right after Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and had already like spent a weekend kind of freaking out about it. And with the support of some friends, did a lot of research, online research and different things about cancer treatment and what I should or shouldn't be doing. And made the decision that I needed to aggressively get treatment and that I needed to then reveal this to my staff. I have a, a firm. At that time, we had about, I think, seven or eight employees. Mm. And now I have 11. So we've grown since then. But at that time, I went to my key employees, to my, well, everybody's a key employee in my office. And I went to my staff and I said, hey, I have this diagnosis. I'm going to start treating now. I wanted to start my chemo it was a rather large tumor. So it had Hmm. to start with chemo. And I said, I'm going to start this immediately within the next two weeks. And I've been told that chemo might knock me out a little bit. And that means I might not be able to be in the office as much. And I'm going to need you guys to step up and make things happen while I'm out. My staff was super supportive. I have like the best staff. I mean, the people (laughs) that I have brought in to work with me were like just one big family. And we just really support each other. And they said, Hey, we will do what we need to do. If you can't be here, we'll figure things out to make sure that things will run and so on and so forth. So they stepped up. And then after that, I'm like, okay, I I need to focus on getting the treatment started, getting, I had to go through all these tests and everything before the treatment started. And then once the treatment started, it was, how do I deal with it? And how is it going to affect me? It actually made me have to rush a lot of things that I wanted to do in the firm. I had wanted, you know, I was like, I want to be completely paperless. I want to be completely remote. We were already in a position where we did a lot of things in the cloud. So we were already using Clio. We were already using email mainly for communication with clients or phone. We don't have a lot of clients that come into the office other than maybe their first encounter. And the rest of the time it's done. It had been done via electronic services. We already had VoIP you know, phone system and things like that. So it could be answered at home. You'd laid some of the groundwork, but I imagine that initial, like that first week or so is just straight up hustle. You didn't rejigger the firm yet. It was just people struggle, you know, like when I go on vacation, everybody just sort of hustles if they need to, to pick up my slack while I'm gone so that I can be on vacation. 
um, I imagine it took a little bit before you imposed that additional structure on things. It was, yeah. I mean, one thing I was lucky about is the research I had done, I was in, I don't know if it's the research I did or just me, but the way that I approached the cancer and the treatment of it, I ended up not having the side effects, the extreme side effects that I had read about. I wasn't completely incapacitated. I was able to go into the office a couple of days a week, every week. There'd be weeks when I'd be tired and I didn't want to go in for a few days. So I didn't. And then I would just, you know, work with my staff from afar, but they really kept things running. And if they needed to know how to do something, they'd get in touch with me and I'd explain it to them. And they pretty much could do it all because everything for the most part was on, was done through the cloud. Yeah. So what needed to change for you to make that long-term? I think the pandemic has made us change more than mm. what that made us change. Oh, really? Okay. But we did have to do more work collaboratively with me from a distance at mm -hmm. times. One of my big goals when that happened is I'm like, wow, I really need to change this from me being in the trenches all the time to me being more of a working on my firm instead of in my firm yeah. kind of thing. And everybody hears that cliche and, but it's true for my firm to be able to continue on. And I realized, look, these people are depending on me for their income so that they can pay their bills and raise their families and support themselves and have their lives. I need to make sure that this firm is going to run. Even if I have to take two weeks off because I'm too tired or too sick to come in or longer. And so when the cancer diagnosis came, that was like my primary mindset for the firm was how do I make it so it can, everything in there can pretty much run without me. Yeah. So what did you do for that? Whew. Well, <laughs> one of my main things I started doing is trying to get out of actual direct client work hmm. because I realized that if the firm is reliant upon me doing direct client work for it to have enough money to run, there's going to be a problem. I mean, I imagine most lawyers think that they are the only one that can do that work. So yeah. that might be a hard thing to get people's heads around maybe. That is a struggle. I also at that time was doing like, we'd do intakes and I was doing most of the intake work because mm. you know the initial screening of people. And I'm like, wow, I can't keep doing that. And that one's a hard one to give up because you feel like I'm the only one that can figure out whether or not this is a good client or not, or do the sales pitch or whatever. So those things I had to create a way to hand off that work to somebody else so that somebody else could do it. And surprisingly, I discovered that they could. <laughs> <laughs> what did that process look like? Because I that sounds fascinating. Well, for the intake part, I basically brought someone in who was interested in doing it and kind of taught them kind of how I did it. It was it was difficult because at that time I was not always able to be in the office all the time. Right. So, you know, the whole shadowing me to see how I do it was difficult to set up, but we did it. And um, the guy that I have doing it now, Tim, he is an attorney who was retiring uh, and hadn't really practiced a lot. So I was like, wow, you don't have a lot of background in doing family law like I do. How are you going to be able to assess this? So we had to kind of change the approach um, from what I was doing. And it, it made me realize that what I was doing was probably giving away way too much free legal stuff to people mm. during the intake process and maybe being more emotional as far as my screening and things than what somebody who doesn't have the same vested interest that I do in the firm would be like it was actually a kind of a nice transition because with the sliding scale fees, I can sometimes have my heartstrings pulled a little bit for somebody mm. a little more than him does <laughs> <laughs> as far as, you know, pricing and things like that and doing intakes. So, so has your firm become a heartless place? No, no. It's actually <laughs> become, I think a better, a stronger place because now, 
I mean, I would bring in clients and be like, okay, we need to work on this. And my staff would be like, well, this is, this is like a red flag, super difficult client. I don't know if we can do this. And then I would end up taking it because I'm like, well, I brought it in. I guess I should take care of it because my staff is having trouble with it. And then that would just create this perpetual cycle where I'd have to be in doing the, the legal work all the time and took away from the concept that I was trying to create of me stepping back more so that the firm can run without me. So all of it kind of created this perfect storm of moving me into a position where I wasn't doing as much direct representation and wasn't dealing with intakes and pushing the intakes off. And now I don't do intakes. I haven't done an intake in a long time. How much direct representation do you do now? Not a lot. I have a few old clients that I still represent just because I've represented them for so long. But honestly, I don't do that much unless I want to. So very little. How many lawyers do you have working for you now? I have two full-time salaried attorneys, mm-hmm. one part-time attorney, and I have uh, two contract attorneys. We just hired a new contract attorney. There are enough people who can do the direct representation. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Guess what? We need to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and we come back. Um, we'll keep exploring this and particularly compare it to kind of what probably everyone is going through now in the pandemic and maybe learn from Emily what's different and what we can all take away from that. So we'll be right back. Part of building a successful practice is finding the right payment partner. It's important to work with a processor that understands the complex rules for legal payments. LawPay is the only payment solution that ensures trust account compliance for both credit card and e-check transactions. Trust the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program and all 50 state bars, LawPay. To learn more or to get started, visit lawpay.com lawyerist today. Support for today's episode comes from Back Office Betty's, the only virtual receptionist service exclusively dedicated to small law firms that offers a plan with unlimited calls. Their highly specialized service boasts customized call handling, relentlessly friendly team members, and unmatched quality. The Bettys are ready to help you grow your firm, even when you're out of the office. Visit www.backofficebettys.com lawyerist to try them out for one week free. Use promo code podcast to receive $150 off your first month. Boost your productivity and save time typing with Text Expander, whether you're in the office or working from home. You can make your own snippets or share and manage snippets for your organization with your team's version, even if your team works from home. You'll reduce errors and increase productivity. Text Expander can save you so much time, it's like getting an extra employee. Text Expander is available for Mac, Windows, iPhone, iPad, and Chrome. And our listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit textexpander.com podcast to learn more about Text Expander. Okay, we're back. So Emily, you had said that adjusting to the pandemic has in some ways been different, harder, maybe than the previous process you went through. What are some of the differences? Well, during my cancer treatment, I actually could go into the office every once in a while and everybody was in the office working. (laughs) People can't catch cancer by when you sneeze. Exactly. There was no virus or anything going around. There was no social distancing. Everyone was in the office. If I needed to get a hold of somebody, I just, they were at the office. Or things could get dropped off at the office. Clients could still come into the office. You had that fallback. It was easier to let things run on its own when that was happening. Mm-hmm. Now with the pandemic, we've had to actually move everything out. So we nobody's in the office now. Um, we have basically one person going in once a day to just do the mail because the mail's still coming there. But we have you know my receptionist who I hired while I was going through my cancer treatment because we were just growing so fast. I needed somebody to answer the phone. Um, she is answering all the phones from home mm. through our phone system. 
and she's able to transfer calls and things like that. So that's still just working the same way. We are doing Zoom for video meetings and in our quote unquote in-person meetings with clients. We're using Zoom for all of that and Microsoft Teams, which we've discovered. We're using Microsoft Teams to communicate with each other. We're doing weekly staff meetings. In fact, I would say that the pandemic has forced me to be probably a better leader. Oh, say more. I had hired at the end of last year, I had hired someone to be my director of operations, kind of my integrator, Mm -hmm. somebody who was going to help me like take all of my vision and turn it into reality. And she was always on me to say, okay, we need to start doing weekly staff meetings. You know, you need to start doing weekly department meetings Hmm. and we'd schedule it. And then I'd be like, oh, I'm too busy. And then we wouldn't do it. Right. And now you have to, because otherwise you never see anybody. Right. Now I have to do these. And in fact, I'm doing weekly firm meetings twice a week and everybody's coming and we're doing it and we're really getting more things done and discussing more. I'm doing department meetings once a week and that's helping to really push things forward. So I feel like I've been forced to implement things that I've always wanted to do, but it was really easy for me to put off Mm -hmm. because there weren't any consequences for me not doing it. And now all of those things have to be happening that I always wanted. And I will tell you, I know extroverts are out there suffering. I'm kind of an introvert, so I don't have a problem being home But the one problem I sometimes have is I think about, okay, our governor says he's going to start letting people go back to work at such and such. And I'm like, oh no, it's going to be over too soon. I haven't finished all of these projects. (laughs) I think about that too, like for people with plenty of work to do, and that's obviously a really privileged position for us to be in, but like for people with plenty of work to do, um, this is actually kind of nice. Yeah. (laughs) But it's actually my anxiety isn't from being stuck at home or not being able to be in, in the office. My anxiety is from will I end this and not have all the projects done that I put on my plate to do that I've always wanted to do when I was stuck at home during a pandemic, right? I worry about that for the profession too, because I feel like um, all of the obstacles that I always heard about to going paperless, to being mobile, using video have evaporated almost overnight. And I want it to stick around long enough that everybody gets used to doing it that way. And so some people decide to stick with it. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm actually terrified that the court system, our court system in Minnesota hasn't yet adopted a uniform way of having like video hearings or things Mm. like that. I hear they're trying to do it maybe via Zoom, but they haven't adopted anything yet. And so now it's kind of a hit or miss. Some some judges are like, okay, we're going to do it by phone. Other judges might be able to do it by video and so on. But I would love it. If, you know, routine hearings and things like that were done via video hearing my clients, it would be so much better for my clients. My clients are all middle and low income. They can't take time off of work to just sit around for four hours waiting for a hearing to happen and paying me for it. Totally. And it's a waste of your time. It's yeah. Yeah. It's a waste of everyone's time. But imagine if they could like not take the day off of work and know that they just have to be available to take a break from their job for 15 minutes for this review hearing or this Um, I do family law, so they do these initial case management conferences that last about 15 minutes in total when you're actually in front of the judge, but you could be waiting for hours for it to happen if the judge is running behind. And lawyers will start adjusting. They'll get better at video and courts will distribute Zoom backgrounds that look like the background at council tables. And yeah. Yeah. Well, that would be amazing. I would love it. (laughs) And I would love it if that becomes the long-term solution for most of the routine hearings. Yeah. Now I can understand if there's a trial, we should probably be in there in person maybe, but we oftentimes have clients who are out of state or witnesses who are out of state. Just having the capacity, yeah, to bring them in. Yeah. I mean, if we could get past this old fashioned, you know, this is how we've always done it mentality about how the courts are supposed to work. 
I think we could really do some great things that would be, again, not to use a cliched term, but client-centered mm -hmm. because, I mean, the courts are supposed to be there for the people that are using the courts, not for the convenience of the judges that are running the courts. And I mean, we could go on, we could have a whole nother discussion <laughs> about my, my concerns about how people are treated, how courts aren't economically friendly for people who are low and middle income, all that kind of stuff. But that's not the topic today. We'll dive down that rabbit hole sometime for sure. I'm curious about how you have had to develop as, as a manager, as a firm owner. I feel like it's really difficult to go from being present all the time where you can just pop in on people and you, you have that tangible ambient awareness of work getting done to all of a sudden you're not in the office. You have no idea what's getting done. Your employees could be fucking off right now and playing video games and you wouldn't know. But how do you transition to a style of leadership that takes that into account and is okay with all that stuff? Well, and you forgot to mention that in addition to having to like lead the group, I have to deal with my own, whatever my feelings are about the mm -hmm. pandemic as well in my home too. And we already, as we started out saying, you're you're also a homeschool principal, even if your situation yes. sounds awesome compared to mine, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, um, it's been enlightening, but mm -hmm. I think that um, stepping up and having to be a leader in this situation really changes kind of your perspective because I'm sitting here with my staff and talking to them and realizing that not only am I have to help them to understand how we're going to do this and create, make the decisions as to how we're going to move forward, people in my staff are afraid. What's going to happen? Am I going to continue to get paid? Are we going to have jobs? Are we going to have money coming in? Is this ever going to be over? Mm -hmm. And they're asking me these questions. And that kind of changes the nature of the leadership role that you have to play, I think, in, in one of these, because you have to be, I think, more decisive. I have a, a culture in my firm where we all talk and we try and make decisions together. But honestly, in, a, in the middle of a pandemic, that is just I mean, the first week was just chaos, right? For everybody, it's kind of chaos. It's how is everything going to work? How are we going to make things happen? How are we going to meet the needs of our clients? What should we be saying to our clients? And it just needed decisive action. And so, yes, I did talk to my staff and say, what should we do and got input from them. But for the most part, it was me just saying, here's what we're going to do mm. and having to step up and do that. And then now as we're moving forward, pushing things forward and putting in opportunities for my staff to be accountable. But also, you know, you mentioned, you know, you don't know if your staff is doing anything all day. And right. that can lead to like resentment amongst your staff. If one person's working their butt off and then they think the other person's playing video games all day, you know, you don't want that kind of thing happening amongst the staff. No, that'll eat your firm up, won't it? Yeah. I no. mean, it, it can be just horrible and poisonous. And so what I've done is, um, the big things I think that have helped the most are we've used Microsoft Teams, which is similar to Slack. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Slack would work doing this as well. And everybody needs to do a daily check-in. They check in every day and say, here's what I did all day. So that everyone can see what everybody else is doing. And nobody can be resentful that somebody didn't do anything because we're all checking in and saying something happened. And it also helps me because if somebody's not checking in, I've had a couple of staff members say, you know, this has been mentally taxing on me. I'm really worried about this. I've needed to take some breaks and I'm, and that I need to know so that I can help them get through that. And, you know, the check-in has helped me to be able to identify when some people are maybe having some problems and things like that. 
I'm a big Michael Hyatt fan as far as the full focus planner. Oh yeah. I'm not going to buy them all a full focus planner because those are pretty expensive, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I am using some of it, like the three big goals for the week. I have everybody kind of come up with their three big goals for the week every week on Monday and post it. So everybody knows, and it doesn't have to just be work-related goals. Like I'm going to get out and I'm going to exercise every day. I want my staff to not only be cognizant that we need to be working and we need to all be contributing for us to be successful and to, mm-hmm. and to keep the doors open. But I also want them to understand that it's important that they take care of themselves because if they're not going to be good employees for me, they're not going to be able to do the work. They're not going right. to be good representatives for my clients. And so I really need them to be taking care of themselves as well. And so that, I think that's really helped a lot to help people stay focused. That I feel is one of the big things that I need to do is help them stay focused and not go down the rabbit hole of chaos that this pandemic can cause. Yeah, for sure. Either in round one, (laughs) cancer round or pandemic round, have you run into any major hiccups that you've had to, to fix those problems or something like that? I mean, so far we've made it sound like it's all gone pretty smoothly, but. Like I said, we had been doing a lot of stuff. I mean, the statistics say that some attorneys don't have like client management, cloud client management things, and they you know, maybe haven't tried to do things paperless or, you know, take credit cards. I feel for those attorneys because I think they are having a bigger shock than others who have adopted those practices already, Mm -hmm. but we had already adopted cloud client management. So that makes it easier. We had already been, because I have a contract attorney who does not ever come into the office or rarely comes into the office. So we've already had to been able to share files and documents with that person electronically using Clio or other things. And we've already had people who have worked from home maybe a a day or two a week or needed to work from home sometimes. So we had to have the phone service set up and and the ability to interact via the cloud or or electronically for that. So that change wasn't super difficult. I mean, we needed to make a couple changes, but we already had all the laptops. We had the, the software and all that kind of stuff. We just needed to learn to use some stuff that maybe we hadn't tried before, like Microsoft Teams. That was new. We had to start doing that. You know, maybe the biggest challenge has been making sure that everybody is able to work together on different things. And and with our clients, so some of our clients, like our social security side of it, uh, the social security administration uh, requires you to have an actual person's signature on a document. It can't be an electronic signature. And you're working with disabled people who don't understand a lot sometimes, or it's very difficult to get through paperwork or to follow through on things. And so that has been a challenge trying to figure out how are we going to make it so that our clients, we can get our client signatures on things and get through the documents and do their intakes while they're not with us. Right. Mm -hmm. So that kind of stuff, but we've kind of worked together to do that. I don't mainly making sure my staff is organized and focused has been the biggest thing and, and focusing myself. I'm discovering now that Maybe I'm ADHD. I don't know. But, uh, you know, sometimes I'll get up and I'm like, I have all these big goals for the day and it's hard to get me focused and get going on all my work. Mm -hmm. And so forcing myself and disciplining myself to do that has been something I've needed to do. And so having things on my calendar scheduled has helped a lot for doing that. And then making sure that I've sat down and thought about these are the things I need to do today. And even if it's not something I really want to do, I'm going to focus myself on it and doing it. I think that's been a huge challenge for me, but having good staff is just so crucial in a time like this so that you have people that you can trust and that, you know, you can depend on um, to have what's best for the, for the office. And then just knowing them. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, I have some staff members that I know are going to work their finger to the bone 
all day, every day. And if I call them at 1030 at night, they're going to pick up the phone. And then I have some staff that need a little prodding and help to like stay focused on what they're supposed to do. And so, and I know that about them and I try and take that into account while I'm working with them and trying to help them, you know, get done what they need to get done. One of the things I'm not hearing from you is you don't seem pessimistic about your firm, about your firm's future at all. I don't know if you remember at LabCon, but like there were definitely some people who seemed like definitely sky is falling, at least initially. And I've, I've talked to lots of lawyers who just assume that business might need to be on hold right now or, or are putting their, their firms on hold. And it doesn't sound like you're doing any of that. No. Um, well, one, I think there's still a huge need for what we do. The phone is still ringing. My assumption is the need for what you do is only going to increase over the, over the coming months. I mean, yeah, I'm actually like talking to my staff about how we're going to, the things that I want to do, I think are going to make it so we get a lot more people mm-hmm. and how we're going to handle that and how we're going to make sure that we can provide, you know, excellent service, even if our client base is growing. You know, I seem positive and so on, but I mean, let's recall that, you know, a year ago, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I, I feel like laughing is totally inappropriate, but yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it. but it's true. I mean, I, I, a year ago, I thought I was going to die and that my, I would never see my child's graduation and my kid was going to grow up, yeah. you know, without me. And, you know, if I, if I take that into perspective, this is nothing compared to Fair enough. being dead, yeah. you know, and, and I mean, I'm still here. I mean, I've always been a pretty positive, optimistic, you know, glass half full kind of person because that's just kind of how I am. And and I see even in the darkest of times opportunity, like when I'm like, oh, my God, I have cancer and I might die. I saw that as an opportunity to do the things I want to do with my firm to make it so that it can run without me so that, you know, I, I mean, I had read the chances are that even if it turns into stage four cancer that I would be around for a while. I just would need to be doing treatment constantly. And I'm like, if that happens, do I want to be doing treatment and working at a law firm and representing people all day long? And the answer was no. Mm. So how am I going to create a scenario where I can, if I know that I'm not going to be around in about three or four years, how am I going to spend those two, three, four years? And how can I create a scenario where I can spend them the way that I would want to spend them, which would be with my son and with my family and with my friends. So I started trying to create a firm that would allow me to be there. And so now we're in the middle of a pandemic and this pandemic, I mean, I'm like locked in my house, sanitizing everything (laughs) and I am not going to get the Rona. So, but if I did, you know, that could be an issue, but that's, I mean, that's not for me, you know, I, I, every once in a while I get kind of paranoid that maybe I could get it or something like that. And that causes a little anxiety, but I also realize this makes me think again, here I have this firm. We are in the middle of a pandemic and we're working remotely and there's things about this that are really great. And I also, we also want to be able to serve people and meet their needs and help people. And this could go on. I mean, we could be in the middle of social distancing in the middle of next year. So I look at this as something that I, as like a puzzle. How am I going to create something that's going to be responsive, that's going to serve my clients, that's going to meet their needs in a year and a half or for the next year and a half and next year come out of this if social distancing ends with a business model or with concepts or things that are even better for clients than what we're doing right now. I love that. I love I love your attitude but also the future orientation of this which is exactly right I think which is doing things now that are going to benefit your firm 
in the long term, whether or not the pandemic continues. Right. What I see happening is a lot of people are jumping onto, okay, I'm going to do something right now. I can do this one thing that's COVID-19 related that'll help people. Everybody needs a will, right? Mm -hmm. And if this goes on for a year and a half, all the people who were like terrified and needed a will are going to have their will within the next, you know, two, three months. So how are you going to do something that has longevity that's going to deal with people all the way through this and for the rest of time or however long you want your firm to be in existence so that you are going to have a constant source of revenue coming in so your business can either grow or maintain for the long term. And so that's the way I'm looking at it as far as what I'm doing and what I'm planning and what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do things that I can do continuously, not just during a pandemic, mm. but even after this is over. So by way of getting us towards wrap up, um, what is the one tool, whether it's a notebook, a pen, a, a software tool, hardware tool, what's the one thing you can't live without um, in order to make your firm run the way it is? Are we talking pandemic tool or are we talking just general tool? General. And I'll give you the option to give me a pandemic one as well. You can give me two. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I already know, and I, I can't give them enough credit. I couldn't run my firm without my staff. Yeah. And if they can count as a tool. Okay, but everybody else listening can't hire your staff. They can't hire my staff. So um, <laughs> you're really trying to pin me down on this. Huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm making up arbitrary rules that I'm going to hold you to. <laughs> well, right now, I think the tool that's really making us able to work the best would probably be Zoom mm -hmm. because our firm meetings, our ability to meet and see each other and talk to each other directly via Zoom has been outstanding. And I know, and, and we could probably do the same thing with, Microsoft has its own video conferencing, but video conferencing. Well, it's built into Teams, right? Like yes. I, my wife is about to take on a new executive director role and um, they use Microsoft Teams, which anyone with an Office 365 account, I think has access to it. Correct, yeah. Um, at least the business account. And honestly, watching over her shoulder, it's pretty fantastic. Uh, I find myself yeah. having a little bit of jealousy. We're on Slack and, <laughs> and Zoom, but yeah. No, Microsoft Teams has been good. Um, I'm actually doing a presentation on Monday to you know, a group of social workers using Microsoft Teams, which is their preferred use. We yeah. have Zoom and Microsoft Teams, so we could use either one. And you know, the one thing I found out because we have a client, uh, a deaf client who can't read sign language, but she can read lips and do uh, closed captioning. And although Zoom has closed captioning, my understanding is you have to have a third party you know, type what people are saying. But Microsoft Teams, we checked it out and they actually translate if people are speaking slowly and clearly and do closed captioning automatically with that. So oh, we're cool. exploring that a little bit more because, you know, one thing, and I brought this up in, in a meeting with a bunch of attorneys that I was doing the other week, how is the court going to deal with interpreters and, mm -hmm. and people who are disabled for hearings and so on? They, I think it's going to be difficult. I've been hearing that like the schools, schools are having a really difficult time dealing with kids with IEPs and, and disabilities totally. yeah. and how to bring them services too. So that's something that really needs to be looked at as we move forward and hopefully as something that's going to be a long-term solution instead of saying, well, eventually we'll all get back in person and then we can resolve it then and just go back to the way it was. Well, right. I mean, that's one of those things where like the easy answer is just do things in the familiar way, but that isn't better for anyone and it doesn't solve the problem that we have right now. And so just saying, oh, we'll just do it the way we were doing goes back to all of the problems that there are in the system that way. And I I'm with you. I hope, honestly, I don't want anybody else to die, but I kind of hope the pandemic lasts long enough for those changes to stick at the same time. So <laughs> I, I'm with you on that, Stan. We are, we are preaching to the same choir on that one. <laughs> it would be oh, amazing. Man. 
Well, Emily, I'm glad we got to do this podcast and I'm glad your cancer is in remission and that you're dealing well with the pandemic. So thank you so much. And I hope to be seeing you in the person soon. Absolutely. Sam, thanks. I really enjoyed uh, talking with you today and I look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah. Stay healthy. Thank you. You too. The Lawyers Podcast is produced by Laura Briggs and edited by Christopher Ng. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Well, here are your first two steps. If you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free right now at lawyers.com book. Next, if you're looking for help beyond the book, then let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyers.com community to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Mm-hmm.